Welcome to the High Prices Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now, here's lead pastor, Chris Sestar. I was thinking, uh, I've been your pastor now, going on 25 years, and uh, you know, you're going to preach some things over and over again. A lot of times I preach brand new stuff to you. I dig out stuff for you. Uh, it's like going to Ingalls and you buy, you know, what you're going to get for dinner that night and take it home. It's all fresh ingredients and you cook it. I try to do that often, but every once in a while I don't feel like going to Ingalls. And I pull out something that's already there in the pantry in the freezer. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? And uh, I found out some people don't like leftovers. I like leftovers. Sometimes they're better the second time around. So I figure Pastor Billy and his group, they get to sing their favorite songs. So every once in a while, I ought to be able to preach my favorite sermons. Is that all right? And so I, and I do seek the Lord, but I, I felt like the Lord took me to this. And so I want to preach a message. It's been a few years since I've preached it. But it's a, it's a little bit of revival camp meeting. And I figure the week before school starts, some of you parents might need some reviving. Maybe you already have revival because your kids are going back to school. So if y'all want to, y'all want to have a little church this morning? I'm going to preach whether you want to or not. But I've got a, just a lengthy passage of Scripture, 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings 19, verse 19, if you're getting your Bible electronically or hard, hard copy. And I want to begin at verse 13, though I'm going to preach the whole chapter, I guess, in essence. One of my favorite characters in the Bible. I'll talk about that in a minute. So it was, 1 Kings 19, 13, so it was when Elijah heard it, what did he hear? He heard the voice of God. That he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here? I emphasize the word here. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant and torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, go, return in your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu the son of Nimshi as king over Israel. And Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. And yet, Elijah, you said I am the only one left. I got news for you. I have reserved 7,000 other people in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there. He went from here to there and found Elisha the son of Shaphat who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him and he was with the 12th. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. 
And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and mother and then I will follow you. Now if you're saying, what happened? When he threw that mantle around him, he was saying, God has chosen you to be a prophet. That's pretty powerful. And so he said, go back again for what have I done to you? That, those are the most underrated words in the Bible. What have I done for you? My Lord, he just threw the mantle around him. He's about to become a powerful prophet of God. He did something mighty for him. So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and then they ate. How's that for finalization? That's burning the bridge. That's saying, I was a wealthy farmer, an aristocrat, but I'm giving it all up so I can be a man of God to preach the word of the Lord. And then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. You can be seated this morning. I want to preach this message that I have so aptly entitled, Moving from Here to There. One of the greatest prophets of Israel, and there were many, was the prophet Elijah. You have to understand what was going on at the time. It explains why God raised this man up. Ahab, who was the king of Israel, was a very, very wicked man in the immortal words of a Jerry Seinfeld episode of Very Bad Man. And he led the entire nation of Israel into forsaking God and worshiping the false gods of Baal and Asherah. In response to this man, God raised up the mighty prophet Elijah to oppose Ahab and to bring Israel back to him. If you read the story of his life, the conflict between God and these non-existent false gods reached a tipping point, a climax in 1 Kings 18 at Mount Carmel when the prophets of Baal came against Elijah. And the, and the and the simple premise was you build an altar, I build an altar. You put wood on it, I'll put wood on it. You put a sacrifice, I'll put a sacrifice. You pray to your Baal, I'll pray to the Lord God. And the God who answers by fire is the real God. And when it was all said and done, nothing happened with them. But when Elijah prayed a 63-word prayer, fire fell from heaven and consumed everything. The people fell on their faces, fell out under the power of the Holy Ghost and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. God gave him a mighty victory. God was glorified. The hearts of the people were turned back to the Lord. The prophets of Baal at that moment were exposed for the charlatans that they were. And Elijah said, grab them. They're wicked men and kill them. And they destroyed them all. It was a great victory. Ahab goes home to his palace and tells his more wicked wife, Jezebel, what Elijah had done. This was a wicked wicked woman. And that day, she sent a death threat to Elijah and said, before this day is over, you'll be dead. Now, here's a man who just had this mighty move of God. You would think he's on the mountain. He can handle anything. As soon as he gets the notice, fear swallows him up, and he runs for his life into the wilderness to Mount Horeb. Now, I'll get back to that. But I want to just stop right here. When I think about this mighty prophet, this Mount Carmel experience, and all the things that Elijah did, 
I think here in the 21st century, it, it is my responsibility to remind you that the God of Elijah is the God of the church today. The God of Elijah is the God of the child of God today. I want you to know I love all the great things that are in the Bible. He did all those things. They're not myths or fairy tales. They're historical recordings of actual events of the Lord God Almighty. But he still does great things today. He still responds to prayer today. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. He still works miracles today. He still operates in the supernatural. He still defeats our enemies. I went back and I thought about in my 25 years that I've been here, some of the highlights for me. I've seen God do so much. But there was a family that went to church here. They had a daughter named Amber. She was a child at the time. She's grown and married now, but she was a child at the time. They, they were discovering when she went to school that there were some things. She was struggling with her education. Uh, they took her to the doctor and found out she was dyslexic. And it was a hindrance. Her parents were, were, were worried, did not know what to do. Her mother, when we had a choir, was in the choir, and she came to the choir that night and said, my child is dyslexic, and we're, we're, we're overwhelmed by this. Will you help me pray? And that night, the choir had a good old-fashioned prayer meeting and got a hold of God, and she went home that night, and by the next morning, God had healed Amber of her dyslexia, and she never had another problem with it again. Don't tell me God's not real. I'll never forget, that was still when we had a choir, but I, I'll never forget when Grace Epps came down right here. I was standing right there. She came down to this altar and put her wrist out. She said, Pastor, will you pray for me? She had a cyst the size of a golf ball. That was the ugliest looking thing. I said, Grace, what is that? She said, I don't know, but it's been there, and it's a hint. She said, will you pray for me? I said, I will. And I gently laid my hands. Now, don't you accuse me of mashing it down. I didn't mash it. I gently laid my hands on it, and I prayed a simple prayer. Y'all, when I took my hands off of that, her wrist, that cyst, disappeared right before our eyes. It was gone. Her jaw dropped. My jaw dropped. I said, where did it go? She said, I don't know. I said, you just got a miracle. I think we shouted a little bit. I, I know everybody in this church has heard me tell the story, but I'm going to tell it. I tell it in growth track, every growth track, but I'm going to tell it on a Sunday morning because somebody may, may be watching online, somebody might be new. But in 2001, after being in T.L. Hannah for two and a half years when we planted this church, in 2001, we got this building completed and moved into this sanctuary. At least that was the plan. It was a Father's Day. The week before, it was... We had to grade, we had to pave, and we had to stripe the parking lot to get our certificate of occupancy. And so I had told District 5, we're not coming back, we're having our first service. That week, it was slated for thunderstorms to be all over Anderson and to dump rain. Well, if that happened, it would have messed up the entire project. We could have been delayed. It would have been an issue. We couldn't have had church and, and, and the foreman came to me the week before. He said, if you looked at the weather for next week, I said, you let me worry about the weather. You have that machinery out here next week. Like I could do something about it. 
that week they came out here and started their work. I'm glad to report to you that that week before Father's Day, not one drop of rain fell on this property for seven days. But it tried. It tried. And I remember one particular night it was pouring rain at my house and I lived about four or five miles down Midway Road. I woke up the next morning and everything was soaking wet, but I got in my car and raced up here. I thought I was going to see the worst catastrophe with everything messed up. When I got to that four-way stop, the Holy Spirit stopped me and said, look, and I couldn't believe it. The asphalt had been wet. The asphalt on Brazil Road was wet. The asphalt on Hopal Church Road was wet. But when I looked at Midway where our property line was, it was two-tone. That asphalt was bone dry. I said, oh, you got to be kidding me. And I started driving on Midway Road. I didn't pull into the construction site. I kept going because I knew where the other part of the property line was. Sure enough, when I got up on this end up here where our property line ended, it was two-tone again. And from that point on, Midway Road was wet and wasn't bone dry. A storm came in the middle of the night. I'm going to do a little MC Hammer here. God put his hands up and said, can't touch this. Don't tell me the God of Elijah is not still alive today. The greatest part of that whole story is I was in this church. We were putting up those ceiling tiles in those classrooms and area rooms. I hate those ceiling tiles. It took us, there are like four million of those in this church. We're trying to get everything ready. Somebody came running in, grabbed me and said, you need to get out here. I came running outside. Pickens grading had stopped what they're doing. And I looked back over Brazil Road across the tree line, and there was the biggest, tallest storm clouds and big, big sheets of rain were falling. You ever seen those? Can't miss it. Big, long sheets of rain. And that wind was blowing. It was headed this way. I ran back inside. We had folks working everywhere. I said, stop what you're doing and start praying. There's a storm coming. By the time I got back outside, the rain, the sheet of rain had crossed Brazil Road and hit that pond in the, in the adjacent property. And you cannot miss a sheet of rain coming across a body of water. And we're just standing there. I said, God, in the name of Jesus, you got to stop that. You, it'll ruin everything, Lord. And as we stood there and watched, that rain was coming like this. I kid you not. When it got on, the, on that pond where we couldn't miss it, that's a pretty big pond, you couldn't miss it. All of a sudden, it turned 90 degrees like this. And then it started going this way. And instead of coming to the church, it went down and dumped on the city of Anderson. I need to reform you in the natural storms don't make 90 degree turns. I'm t my God, I feel the Holy Ghost. The God of Elijah is alive and well in the 21st century. The God of Elijah is alive and well in 2023. The God of Elijah knows where Anderson County is. The God of Elijah knows where you live and he's alive and well today. Somebody give God praise in this house. I believe God still wants to reveal his glory in the church. I believe God still wants to reveal his glory in your life. I think he wants to make himself real to us and to the world. I think he wants to rain down the fire of God on our spirits and in our church. And so I notice a pattern in the Bible and in my own experience. And we see it here in this story that every time, I've seen it in my life, it happened to me this week. Every time. God does something great and marvelous for his people. That stinking devil will show up and try to mess things up. Y'all found that to be true in your life? Aggravating thing. 
It happened to me this week. Had that great day last Sunday, preached that message. Five adults raised their hand and said they prayed and gave their life to Jesus Christ last Sunday. That'll put any preacher on cloud nine. But before I could go to bed that night, I had a text message. Somebody leaving the church, not liking what's going on, putting that on me, and I had to deal with that. The devil will find a way to knock the wind out of you if he can. He tried it with Elijah. He just can't sit idly by while God does great things in your life. So here's his modus operandi. He magnifies potential dangers. They loom in your mind. He attempts to counter your faith with fear. He loves that one. He raises doubtful questions in your mind like, well, is God real? Will God do what he said he will do? Am I really saved? Am I really his child? Do I really have all this power and authority that the Bible says I do? And y'all, I've seen it time and time again. I've seen a believer or the church experience a mighty move of God. People are walking in faith. They're determined to go where God is leading them. Everybody's on fire. However, at the first sign of difficulty or spiritual resistance from the enemy, everybody gives up and runs. Oh, y'all just put your seatbelt on. You decide that you're going to give God the tithe. You ever been tithed? I'm going to do it. Pastor's preached on it. I'm ready to do it. You make up your mind to tithe. The devil finds out, and all of a sudden, a couple bills out of nowhere will hit you. What are you going to do? Oh, you're overwhelmed with fear. We can't give God the tithe. We've got to pay these bills. And you just shoot the whole thing out. You pray for the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Power of God comes on you. Your lips start stammering. And then you'll hear the voice of the devil. What are you doing? That's not real. That's fake. That's you doing that. That's you doing that. What's everybody going to think if you keep acting like this? Or, and you become suddenly so self-conscious and you quench the spirit and shut the whole thing down. I've seen it time and again. The church needs to make changes for progress. And for the sake of the gospel and the sake of the kingdom of God, things need to change. God's in it. It's the will of God. Everybody can see it. Everybody's on board. And then you let one or two critics open their mouths, start running their mouths, and, and, and putting little seeds of doubt in people's mind. And the next thing you know, everybody was for it. The next thing you know, people are backing up and saying, now, wait a minute, I'm not sure about this. And the whole thing gets nixed. It's what happened to Elijah. God rained down fire from heaven. God gave him a great victory. God sent rain after a three and a half year drought. But the moment Jezebel threatened to kill him, he lost his faith. He gave in to fear and he ran for his life. And he found himself in a cave. He ran over 200 miles to Mount Horeb and entered a cave. Now, do you all know what a cave is? Sure you do. You've got a picture right now. Some of you have been spelunking before and you've been in caves. I've done all that. I've only been in one cave. It was in Honduras. No, Ecuador. Where it actually you went in and it made a big loop in the mountain and came back out. That's the only one I've ever been in. But every other cave I've ever been in, it's just a dead-end street. You go in and finally, boom, it dead ends. That's what a cave is. It's a dead-end street. A cave is a horizontal hole in the ground. 
We're used to vertical holes in the ground, but it's just a horizontal hole in the ground. And let me spiritualize that. Sometimes that's where you find yourself. When you give in to fear and you run from God's plan, you're in a dead-end street. You're stuck. You're stagnant. You're in a hole in the ground, going nowhere, spiritually standing still, half alive, half dead, half buried, buried, half out, halfway living. It's all halfway. So Elijah was in a cave in terrible shape, spiritually, but God showed up. I'm glad to tell you this morning, when you don't think God knows where you are, he knows exactly where you are. And we know that God shows up on Sunday morning when it's fired up and wound up and it's anointed. We know God shows up in that. But what about those times when you feel like you're fighting hell? I got news for you. God will show up then. Just ask Daniel when they threw him in a lion's den. They should have mauled him and destroyed him and eaten him alive. But instead, they never touched him. And he slept with a bunch of pussycats that night. Why? Because God showed up in the lion's den. Ask Daniel, our Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got thrown into a furnace that had been stoked seven times hotter than normal. They were bound up and thrown. It, they should have disintegrated the moment they went into the fire. But instead, the only thing that burned was the ropes and those three boys just walked around in the fire. Why? Because there was a fourth man in the fire who looked like the Son of God. Well, guess what? It was the Son of God. I'm here to tell you this morning, God will be with you in your fire. God will be with you in the lion's den. God will be with you when you're in the valley. God will be with you in the battlefield. God will be with you in the wilderness. God will be with you at the midnight hour when nobody else is around. God will always show up when you need him. Somebody give God praise. He's an ever-present help in our time of trouble. Hallelujah. Do you believe that? What a mighty God we serve. God showed up. God asked him the question that I emphasized in the text. What are you doing here, Elijah? What is implied in the question is that Elijah was not supposed to be there. He was where he was not supposed to be. And when you are hiding from your destiny or cowering because of the threats of the devil, God will ask you the same question. What are you doing here? Because here is not where you are supposed to be. So stay with me. I've learned a lesson in life. With God, you're either here or there. With God, you're either here or you're there. Now, here is where too many of us have been for too long. Put your seatbelt on. Where are you? Oh, I'm just right here where I was 20 years ago spiritually. No amens there. Where are you? I'm right here, same place I was 20 years ago in my prayer life. 20 years ago in my walk with God, I'm right here, same place I was. Now, thank God for what God did for you 20 years ago. But the problem is God is telling you to, to move from here to there. God's saying, why are you still here when I've already moved on over there? I don't want you here. I want you there. So get up from here and get over to there. Now, if that's too much for you, let me give you another question. Why do we settle for this? You got it. I got one person that knows what I'm preaching. Why do we settle for this when we could have that? 
Because at one time, that was this. <laughs> and this was that. See, one time what you're in now was that. And you moved into that and it became this. <laughs> and you wanted that way back then, but you've grown comfortable with this. You've got stuck in this. You've grown complacent with this. Hold on. You've taken for granted this. You think this will always be here. You think this is the end all. You think this is as good as it gets when God says, are you going to limit me and what I can do and who I can be in your life? This was good, but I got something better. You need to get out of this and move into that. You need to let go of this and take that. That is your destiny. That is my plan for your life. That is my will for your life. Get out of this and move into that. Acts chapter 2, the church was saved. The church was blessed. They had leadership. They were meeting together. They had a mandate called the Great Commission. They were ready to go take the world. Jesus said, go, but before you go, wait and go to Jerusalem and tarry until I fill you with the Holy Spirit. They had no idea what that was. Nobody ever been baptized with the Holy Ghost. They're clueless, but they did what the Lord told them to do. So about 120 of them are in an upper room praying, and they keep praying. They have no idea what that is. What y'all praying for? Well, praying for something, but we don't know what it is. And on the day of Pentecost, when the day had fully come, there appeared to them cloven tongues like fire and the sound of a rushing mighty wind. And the Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. And on that day, God did what he said he wanted to do and baptized them with the Holy Ghost. And a crowd joined up and somebody asked, what is this? And Peter said, I know the answer. Let me take you to Joel chapter 2, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel, that in the last days, says the Lord, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. This is what we didn't know about, but this has always been what God wants, but now we've got it, and we're going to work in the power of the Holy Ghost and go win the world for Jesus Christ. It took that to be who God called them. Children of Israel were stuck in Egyptian bondage. Horrible, horrible condition. He brought them out and took them into the promised land. Stay with me. There this had been slavery and suffering and shortage. But that was freedom and blessing and productivity. So God brought them out to bring them in so that this could become that. And I just came to high praises today to say to some of you, that's exactly what God wants to do to you. Whatever you find yourself in right now, God wants to bring you out. 
But God doesn't just bring you out of something. God always brings you into something. He brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He brought you out of the slave market of sin into sonship with the almighty God. Come on, somebody. He brought you out of, out of death into life. He brought you out of spiritual unbirth into spiritual birth. God always brings you out to bring you in. And if you could just understand today that that's what God wants to do in you. You weren't created to live in hesitation and stagnation and limitation. If that's where you find yourself today, God is ready to take you to a place of faith and fire and freedom because that is what God wants to do in your life. If you believe that, give God a praise in this house this morning. Hallelujah. God wants to bring you out. He'll bring you out of religiosity into a relationship. He'll, he'll bring you out of dryness into the latter rain. I could keep on. So Elijah doesn't know all this. He's just in a cave, in a horizontal hole in the ground, at a dead-end street. God shows up. I hate to tell you, right at that point, there's no moment of revival. He just had a pity party with God. You ever had a pity party with God? Oh, I'm the only one? I've had quite a few in my life. I've had some pity parties. Poor me, woe is me, why me? Well, it's always the why me, Lord. That's right, Elder. Why me? Elijah's having a why me moment with God. But I looked, and these are things I've never preached. So I, a lot of this I had in some notes. But I've never preached this this morning, but I felt like God led me here to this. It's going to help some people. I think his conversation with God, to me, reveals why Elijah was struggling from moving from where he was to where God wanted him to be. So let me just show you some things from the scripture. Still got your Bible there? So here's, 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 here's my three points, because preachers have to have three points. Can't be two. We're OCD. Three. So here's point number one. He was stuck in the past. He couldn't move from where he was to where he needed to be because he was stuck in the past. I have been very zealous for the, not I am, present tense, zealous for the Lord. I have been. What's he doing? He's thinking about the good old days. Now, if you're 22, you don't have any good old days. So you're okay. But if you're 57, you might have some good old days. I don't know. You could be 22 and have some good old days. Oh, he was thinking about the good old days when he rained down fire from heaven, prayed it down. He's thinking about the good old days when he defeated all the false prophets. He's thinking about the good old days when we used to have revival and Israel came back to the Lord. Mm. Thinking about the good old days when he prayed the first time and no rain fell for three and a half years and he just prayed again and it rained. Thinking about the good old days. He was so fixated on the past that he couldn't get a vision of the future. Now some of y'all need to hear me preach this morning. 
I appreciate what God has done for me in the past. I do. I've got stories that I could tell. I appreciate all the wonderful times when God showed up in my life. I've got stories of church services and camp meetings and services here and services at Praise Cathedral and times in my, I've got camp youth camps when I was a teen. I've got some great memories of times when God showed up and did great things in my life. I'm grateful for the times when God answered my prayers, the times God blessed me, God worked in my life. Those are my testimonies. That's where your testimony comes from. When God did something for you yesterday, but I need to tell you this morning, yesterday's blessings were for yesterday. Yesterday's blessings are insufficient for today's challenges. Yesterday's blessings are irrelevant to what God wants to do in me right now. Yesterday's blessings describe where I have been, but they won't take me where I need to go. You got to let go of yesterday and you got to say, what does the Lord want to do now in my life? What does God want to do in me that take me some, will take me someplace that might be a little bit uncomfortable, that I will have no knowledge of? What does God want to do in me, through me, with me, in my family, in our church, that I'll say, you know, it's not something I'm very familiar with, but I know God is in it and I need to trust God and I need to let God do what he wants to do in my life, my marriage, my family my church, my ministry. I need to let God be God and not get in his way. You cannot just get stuck in yesterday. I think God's words through the prophet Isaiah fit well to what I am preaching. God speaks and says, do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, God said, I will do a new thing. And I love this. This is in the Bible. He said, now it shall spring forth. Now. He said, I want to do a now thing. And he said, shall you not know it? I love that. Shall you not know it? God said, I've got something for you. I've got something new for you. Stop dwelling on the past. Stop thinking about the memories. Stop going down memory lane. Stop talking about how good it used to be. I'm telling you, the God of the used to be is the God of the now. He's doing some good things now. He's going to do some good things a year from now. He's a good, good God, and he's doing good things in our life. God wants to take you to a new place in him. God wants to do a new thing in your spirit. God wants to bless you in a new way. God wants to have you experience some new things that you've always wondered about. My question is, are you ready for what God wants to do now in your life? Some of you right now are saying, Pastor, this is crazy you're preaching this because the Lord's been dealing with me about some things. That's why I'm preaching this today. You're exactly right because the Lord is trying to take you from here to there. I got news for you. If you'll just go where he wants you to go and where he's taking you, you're in for the ride of your life. I'm going to preach till 12 today. I remember the first time, y'all, all the younger folk don't know, all the old, older folk, you know what PTL was, right? PTL, that was, a, that was Jim and Tammy Baker, Tammy Faye, okay? You can watch documentaries on They built this gigantic, colossal Christian version of Disney World up in Charlotte, all right? And they had big hotels and all these things, and they built, at that time, one of the highest water slides in America, and I remember taking my youth group up there 
we did a we did a PTL trip day, and I took my youth group up there, and 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 so I, I was going to go down the slide. Never been down a water slide, and I don't like heights. And so I'm going up that ladder, and I get to the top, and there's all these little eight-year-olds, ten-year-olds, got their mat, and they're just jumping and singing and slinging themselves down. And I'm in line, and the further I'm going, getting closer into the queue line, I'm like, oh, God, what am I doing up here? God, this is a mistake. I got to get, but if I just, it would be embarrassing to go back down. And I'm terrified, and at the same time, there's a part of me that says, but I want to do this. And I finally got there, and I'm like, what am I going to do? And I could have bailed out, but I thought, you know what? I'm here, and the only way back down there is either go backwards or I got to go forwards. And I thought, if that little six-year-old girl can do this, and gum, I can do this. And that's Church of God cuss word right there. You can say gum. Don't say anything else. And I got on my little mat, and I said, here goes. And here I went, zoom, 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 and I hit that water. Y'all, when I came up, I said, that was awesome. Let's do that again. Let's go. I think I did it three more times. He said, why are you telling me that? Because what was great for me in the natural will be great for you in the spiritual. Oh, you got, God's going to have you climb some mountains. God is going to take you to some heights. It's going to terrify you because you've never spoken in tongues. You've never shouted before. You've never witnessed to anybody. You've always been a good witness, but you've never witnessed it. You've never taken somebody's hand and prayed for them at work before. I'm telling you, there's some things, God, you've never even volunteered in church. You never paid your tithes and said, God, I'm going to trust you with my finances. There's some heights that God wants to take you. There's some places God wants to, it's a little scary, but if you'll just get on the slide and you'll just trust God and go where God wants you to go, I'm telling you, you're going to about to have the time of your life and when you get to the bottom of the hill, you're going to say, whoa, this is awesome. Let's do some more of this. You become a man or woman of God who walks in faith and knows the joy of following Jesus. He was stuck in the past. Number two, just preaching the word. He was influenced by unspiritual people. Y'all, you better be careful who you let in your life. Better be careful who you marry. You better be careful who you date. You better be careful who you let in your house. Don't make me do it. Good preaching, Pastor. You better be careful who you join up with in a business endeavor. Elijah said, the children of Israel have broken your covenant, torn down the altars, killed the prophets. Elijah based his response to God's work in his life on the spiritual condition of everybody else around him. He couldn't move where God wanted him to move to because nobody else was moving. I'm all alone. That's what the Bible says. I'm all alone, God. I'm all alone. Nobody else is wanting revival. 
Nobody else wants to witness. Nobody else in my family ever paid tithes. Nobody else in my family went to church regularly. Thought I'd throw that one in there. If you make a move of God in your life contingent on what somebody else says or what somebody else does, or what somebody else isn't saying, or what somebody else isn't doing, you'll never get to where God wants you to go. So let me preach right now. You can't wait on your spouse. And I'm glad all the teenagers are upstairs today on this fifth Sunday, teenagers. You can't wait on your mom or your dad or the youth pastor or the youth staff and college and career. You can't wait on the college and career director or the elders or anybody else. You can't wait on your church friends. You can't say when God moves in them that I'll move too. When God moves in the entire church then I'll move too. What if God doesn't move on them? What, what if they never move? What if God wants to do something in you that he's not going to do in them? You cannot make the move of God in your life contingent on somebody else. I know God is working in some of you. I know he is. I know some of you are hungry for God to take you where you've never gone before. Here's my challenge today from the lesson from Elijah. Remove every contingency. Unhitch yourself from the wrong people. If you have to, go to the altar by yourself. If you have to, fast all by yourself. If you have to, get in a prayer closet and pray all by yourself. If you have to make this journey alone, do it all by yourself. Draw a circle around yourself and pray, God, start a revival right here in this circle. Set me on fire. Give me the wings of eagles so that I can soar into your presence and soar into your destiny and go where you want me to go, God. Don't wait on others. Don't be influenced by unspiritual, ungodly people, by carnal people. Mm, I gotta, I gotta, God's got to help me this morning. I've seen more lives Spiritual life shipwrecked because people connected with the wrong folks. I better move on. He was stuck in the past. Some of y'all need to break up with somebody. Some of y'all need to just break up. You're dating somebody who's not saved and they keep pulling you down. You're never going to move from here to there. Matter of fact, you're going to move from here to somewhere you don't want to go. Some of you need to just tell them it's over. And when he or she texts you, calls you, and DMs you on Facebook 400 times, you just block them 400 times. Say the day you get saved and get right with God and I see fruit, we'll talk about it. He was stuck in the past. He was being influenced by unspiritual people and bless his heart. And I mean that in a southern way. He had a victim mentality. They seek to take my life, God. I'm a victim. They're out for me, Lord. It was true. Jezebel was out for him. But that victim mindset was paralyzing Elijah. And I have seen this in the church. People moan and groan that they're stuck spiritually. 
and then they want to blame everybody else for it. It's the pastor's fault. It's, it's the music's fault. It's the church's fault. It's always somebody else's fault. The services are too dry. The preaching doesn't help me to grow in the Lord. I'm not being discipled. Victim, victim, victim. I got hurt in church. I got hurt in church. I can't move on in the Lord because I got hurt in church. That's a victim mentality. I'm sorry you got hurt, but guess what? Everybody in this room got hurt in church. If you haven't, hold on. Somebody will. Everybody in here has been hurt. But you don't take your ball and go back into sin. You just say, I'm not going to let any old goat steal my glory. And I've dealt with a few old goats. How about y'all? But if you're not careful, you get a victim mentality. I got news for you. If you're stagnant spiritually, just by the way, it's not the church's fault. It's not the preacher's fault. It's not the music's fault. That responsibility falls on you. And if you're not where you need to be in God, don't you, especially a church like High Praises or any other spiritual church. Now, if you're in a dead church, I can understand you might want to think that's not helping me, but it's not causing you to be where you are. Don't you blame it on anybody else. If you're playing the victim card, stop it. If you're saying, well, I'm not going to get saved to go to church because I got hurt in church, just stop it. God didn't call you to be a victim. God called you to be a victor. Here's what I was thinking when I was getting ready to preach this. If Paul and Silas could be in an inner cell of a jail with their backs beat and have a Holy Ghost revival if anybody should have been a victim they were but they didn't quit on God they didn't throw in the towel they didn't turn in their, their license and say God I'm done with this I'm going back into sin no they just sang hymns and they prayed and they said God's in control and he'll bring some good out of this anyhow but it doesn't matter what they say or do to us I'm determined to walk with Jesus take this whole world but give me Jesus the cross before me the world behind me Thun none go with me, still I will follow. Woo! Get in the altar and ask God to take you where He wants you to go. When you get there, you might feel better about the thing. You might feel better about church. You might feel better about what happened in the past when somebody hurt you. God will give you victory. I'm gonna preach till 12 today. Long one. Elijah got revival. He said, I'm getting out of this cave. That's what you have to do. So I'm getting out of this cave. I'm not going to be stuck in the past, and I'm going to stop listening to all these other people. I'm going to listen to God. And I'm going to stop being a victim. God said, I'm a victor, I'm more than a conqueror. So God told Elijah, I want you to go back the way you came. Go back to your assignment. Go back to where I want you to be. Go back to Israel. That was there. Go back and face Jezebel. Go back to a godless people. Go stare the danger in the face. Go face the unknown. I'm in charge, and I'm having a plan. God was saying to Elijah, get out of the cave and move into your calling. Move into your destiny. Go do what I've called you to do. Brothers and sisters, 
Do you know why you need to move from here to there? Do you know why you need to take examination of where you are and if God's dealing with you and calling you into something fresh and new, you need to move into it? Do you know why? Because there's too much at stake. We get so narrow-minded. Y'all ever get in line at Chick-fil-A? And you're in a hurry because it's supposed to be fast food. And the people in front want to talk to the little attendant and tell them everything that's happened in the last 20 years of their life. And I'm saved, and I'm a pastor, and prominent in the community, but what I want to do, you don't, never mind what I want to do. I'm more aware than ever before that so many people are unaware. You ever pull in a parking lot? See, this is catharsis for me. I just use y'all. And you... You see somebody get in their car and there's no parking space. All right, I'm going to get this. And you, and you stop. You're blocking traffic. You got your signal on. And they get in the car. They take all the time in the world to open the hatchback and put the bags in. And then they get, and then they get on their phone. And you wait, and you wait. If there's anybody here that does that, get in your car, crank it up, and get up the road. I need you to move from here to there so that I can move from here to there. That wasn't in my notes, but it felt good. (laughs) So many people are just in their own little world, and they're not aware that there are other people around them. But I got news for you. God wants to move you from here to there. Because he knows up here there's somebody that needs your touch, your words, your blessings, your prayers, your your help, your assistance, your influence. He He said, I need you. I need to take you to a new place. I need to work in you because I've got others. And that's what happens is when you, when, you be, when you get in God, Elijah just got so, Elijah was in the parking spot on his phone having a pity party and God says, get out of the parking space and move where you need, get where you need to go because this isn't about you. It's about me and the people that I want to touch and the people I want to save. There are souls to be saved, y'all. There are backsliders that need to be brought home to Jesus. There are people that need a healing touch. We need to be saying, God, here I am. I'm ready. Move me for wherever you need to move me. Take me wherever you want to take me. Take me, God, and use me for your cause and your glory. That's why. It's not just selfish and personal. It's God, use me. I got in my car, moved my family from here to there because God said, plant a church in Anderson, South Carolina. 
So God enlightened the man of God. There are 7,000 in Israel who are on God's side. You're not alone after all. I have people who are moving from here to there with you. And then the other thing he said, and I want to close with this, he said, I have other leaders who are going to help you in your calling. It's not all on your shoulders. And so Elijah returns and starts doing some new things. He moves from where God wants him to be to where he's supposed to be. He moves from here to there. And one of the first things he does is appoint and anoint the next generation of prophetic leadership, which was Elisha. And by the way, it's critical that you move where God wants you to move because the next generation is watching us. The next generation is going to model to some degree what we do, but they're also going to take it and put their own twist on it. And so you got to be ready to influence them and yet let them go. And did you know Elisha performed twice as many miracles as Elijah did? There would have never been an Elisha if Elijah hadn't got out of that cave, Pastor Billy, and said, I can't stay here. I need to go where God wants me to go. I need to be who God's called me to be. I need to do what God's called me to do. He threw his mantle on him and challenged him to leave where he was and come with him to where he was going. So Elisha, the next generation, had to move from here to there. There's always a next generation. Play, Pastor Billy. Please. Maybe I'll quit. There's always a next generation. The older I get, I'm so aware of that. There's always a next generation. When I got down, and I did, I got down about COVID. And 25% of churchgoers, pre-COVID churchgoers, have never come back to church. I got down. Until one day in staff meeting, God straightened me up. Because I was starting to be pessimistic with the other staff members. And in mid-sentence, God shut me up. The Holy Ghost started talking to me and shut me up. And God said, you're worried about this generation. I got a whole other generation. I win the next generation. I'm going to bring people back to me that have never been saved. Don't worry about all these church folks that are carnal and shallow and aren't, aren't going to come back to church. I'm not talking about people missing church for right reasons. I'm talking about for the wrong reasons. He said, don't worry about those people. I'm going to, I'm going to reach the next generation. I learned that day there's always another generation. And the older ones are in this generation, and we see the younger ones in that generation. But guess what? The younger generation sees them in this generation, and all we old folks, you're in that generation. This generation, that generation. So why is it imperative that you go where God wants to take you? Because there's another generation that's watching us. They want to see where God takes us. They want to see the move of God in us. They want to learn. Some of them want to go where we're going. They want to experience what we're experiencing. And brothers and sisters, we cannot fail them. We have to appoint and anoint the next generation and show them the way to go. Give God praise in this house. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings in person or online at 10 a.m. For more information or to watch our services online, 
please visit us at www.highpraises.org or check us out on social media.